Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, this is Megan Rapino, and I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Hello, Fangirl Nation, and welcome to Fangirl Sports Network's Get My Job on Blue Wire. I am so excited to be joined by Senior Director of Marketing and Events at ESPN Audio, Megan Judge. A former athlete, Megan shares how that experience taught her the importance of preparation, learning how to lose, and learning how to win. We discuss the inspirational story behind Senior Night, while Megan shares an important learning experience from the job she didn't get. This episode is filled with inspiration, information, and laughs. We are brought to you by Favor Apple Cider Vinegar. And with that, let's get to it. Megan, thank you so much for joining me today for Get My Job. Thank you so much. I'm really glad to be here. I knew I'd be doing more podcast listening during the pandemic, but I never thought I'd actually be on one. Oh, well, there you go. Well, it's it's like a great combo of a marrying of all of the podcast (laughs) things. (laughs) Um, Well, let's jump right in because that leads me right into my first question. And then my next couple, can you give our listeners an overview of your roles and responsibilities at ESPN? Uh, As you know, this podcast is for women who work in sports, women who want to work in sports, and we want to give uh, young women and, and men an idea of all the different opportunities there are. Oh, fantastic. Oh, I'd love to. Um, I work on the audio marketing and events team at ESPN. Um, and, and basically, that's all things marketing for our network radio um, shows and our podcast business. And uh, our, our team specifically is a small but mighty team within the production uh, division of ESPN. Uh, and we essentially we focus on three different areas. We do all of the brand marketing for our audio business. So that's everything from creative development, promotional assets, fan engagement campaigns, things to drive ratings, um, content and social stunts for our shows and podcasts. We also manage the relationships with over 400 affiliate radio stations across the country uh, with SiriusXM and our digital and satellite partners like Spotify, iHeart, TuneIn and Apple Podcasts. Um, we work with them to promote our content and, and drive awareness um, so that we're driving tune into our shows, but also to make sure that they feel the value of their partnership with us. And then uh, finally, we work on um, event marketing. So everything from the live broadcasts that we do with our network radio shows at major sporting events throughout the year, um, the CFP, Super Bowl, NBA All-Star Game, that kind of thing, um, or just big events in, in big markets um, around major sporting stories that are happening um, in, in key markets for us. Um, and uh, over the last three years, we've added a, a really healthy group of live podcast events to that mix, which has been really fun for us. 
Um, then finally, our team manages, um, this is not, you know, I, I don't think this part is work. It's actually kind of a labor of love, um, but our team manages the SB's auction for ESPN. Oh, okay. um, and it's an annual benefit, an annual fundraiser for the V Foundation for Cancer Research, which is a real core part of, of you know, who we are as ESPN. Um, it started many years ago in the radio division. Um, and I was able, I was lucky enough to inherit it from my predecessor. Um, it's grown into a company-wide effort, uh, but it's got its heart and soul in radio. Um, so it's, like I said, it's an absolute labor of love. Oh, that's awesome. I did not realize that you did that. That's fantastic. That's super cool. So you talked about live podcast events. Can you go into a little bit more detail and give us an example of one? Because I think that some, obviously under the current climate that may be on pause for a while (laughs) before this, I think that was something that was really gaining a lot of traction and hopefully, you know, in the next year or so, it's something that could come back. Absolutely. Well, we it, it was absolutely great gaining traction, and, and we hope it it comes back with a vengeance. Um, I think it's one of the things. If, if folks haven't had a chance to go to a live podcast event, I would strongly encourage that they do. Um, we we've been doing them for almost a little over three years, and to be honest, we it, it sort of started as a fluke. Um, we we had had heard about other folks doing it. Um, we had always done live radio broadcasts, but those are, you know, kind of big, free, open to the, open to the public events. And we were kicking around the idea of a live podcast event and, and had to go into a pitch meeting with one of our executives. And he sort of looked at us like, wait a minute, people are, you know, you're going to do this at night and people are going to pay you to, to go to one of our events. And we're like, yes, we promise it's going to work. And we did it with uh, in a tiny little restaurant in New York City in the basement of the restaurant, uh, oh, wow. about a hundred people, and it was with fantasy focused football. And it, it, we had never done this kind of event. It wasn't the biggest event we had ever done, but it was it was so different um, than than the other recordings that we had done. And there was this moment right before we went on the stage where you know everybody was packed in. Um, the whole place smelled like barbecue. That's one of my my main memories of it. Um, it was it was Hill Country Barbecue in New York City. They had a, a music space downstairs, um, but but the acoustics were incredible, and the, the barbecue smelled delicious. And um, Matthew Berry and Field Yates and Stefania Bell walked out onto the stage, and they had they they right before they went on, they were looking at us like, "Are you sure this is going to work?" And they walked onto the stage and the audience erupted and it didn't stop from the, the minute they got on stage, the, the engagement, the laughter, you know, just people shouting back at them. And it was, it, we just looked at each other like, holy cow, this, we've got something here because it, you know, the, for the folks on the stage, they were always in studio. They were always behind a microphone, you know, separated from their audience by days or weeks sometimes, depending on when people were downloading. And all of a sudden they were in front of an audience where, you know, their their little inside jokes and all of these things that all of these people separate from each other were listening to while they were commuting. Everybody all of a sudden had a chance to to look around and laugh and be surrounded by the other folks who also got the inside jokes. And it was just, it, you know, it, it, for me, it made podcasting, which had been such a singular activity into a communal experience. 
and and from that minute on, we were sold. Um, the the fan experience, the talent experience has been incredible. Um, and from a sponsorship standpoint, I mean, we, we could do one a day. Um, well, pre-COVID, <laughs> we could do one a day, and we would have had you know a great sponsor interest in it. Um, we've we've worked really hard to to even though we've grown the size of the audience and we we're in bigger venues and we're doing bigger things we've worked really, really hard to make sure that we were keeping that, that sense of intimacy, that sense of connection, uh, private, you know, personal meet and greet with every single audience member after the shows uh, and the talent, you know, the talent and the audiences both love them. That's awesome. Well, that there's much to unpack there. So that leads yes. me into a couple of questions and then I have follow-up questions, but I'm going to start with actually, how have the going back a little bit, how have you seen this podcast market? podcast market change and grow because in the beginning it was a relatively new concept and yep. obviously it's grown tremendously. Um, I listened to a lot of sports podcasts. I listened to ESPN daily, yep. daily, which Zoom is oh, under your you. purview. Um, I, I absolutely love it. Um, big Mina from Kimes fan. She was actually one of our earliest guests on the show. So she's, she is fantastic. Incredible. Um, she really is. She is just fantastic at everything she does and so smart and so knowledgeable and so funny. Um, yeah. So we'll, we'll turn to Amina Kimes love, love fest here. But how have I you seen that? I would subscribe to Amina Kimes fan podcast. I, I, I would be subscriber number one to that. She, I think she's incredible. Oh, this, this is good to know. We'll, we'll see how <laughs> we'll put that, we'll in that. We'll think about that for the future. Uh, but how have you seen this market change and grow? I mean, years ago, did you ever think you would there'd be enough podcast listeners to do a daily podcast on sports. Oh gosh, I've, I've been working in the audio space for about ten years. Um, ESPN for fifteen, but but in the audio team for ten years, and most of that was was focused on our network radio business. The podcast business was was a little bit of a kind of a, a side passion project for a lot of people, um, mostly because that's where the revenue was, and uh, I think everyone you know, intellectually, everybody knew that the, the growth um, eventually would be coming from digital. And, and obviously the numbers now bear that out. But um, at the time, you know, the, the, the focus truly was on, on the, the network radio, traditional network radio space, the, the terrestrial uh, radio space. And, um, you know, just seven years ago, the total industry revenue was around $25 million. Pre-COVID, the estimates for 2020 were that the total podcast industry space would, would top a billion dollars in revenue. And obviously there's a, a tons of reasons why, um, but it, and it's everything from, you know, truly incredible content, um, you know, new producers, new voices, um, new technology that made it easier to access and, and you know, easier for it to kind of not be a niche um, entertainment opportunity. Um, but all of that growth, basically meant that there was more opportunity for investment and investment begot more growth. And, and in terms of technology, production, promotion, um, and, and you know, the, the growth and awareness brought new names and new personalities um, to the space. So it's, it's, it's been incredible. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's the perfect example of, of hockey stick uh, growth, right? If, if you're looking at a growth chart, um, you know, slow and steady, slow and steady, and then explosive. Um, in our own business, uh, we've always had a, a handful of strong performing shows. Like we, fantasy focused football. I mean, we've been doing that for for more than a dozen years now. Um, you know, and and obviously, you know, Bill Simmons and and his show started as a as an ESPN podcast. Um, and and 
much of what we have now is it was was what Bill built with us at the time. Um, and the the change for us really was was an understanding of um, you know the buyers were getting more savvy about. Um, what the podcast audience was and how avid those folks were and and how valuable they could be as customers. Um, we we basically you know kind of evolved um, with the rest of the industry. We've got fantastic new brands and shows that are serving fans in a really unique way. Um, and and you know we, what we we've been able to do is not just to invest in in new talent and and folks like Woj and Zach Lowe. Uh, but as you said, we've made really big bets behind Mina Kimes hosting the ESPN Daily podcast. Um, and, and for me, one of, one of my other favorites is uh, investing in the production necessary to create a top-level storytelling podcast like 30 for 30 Podcasts, taking mm-hmm. the incredible work that they do on the, the um, documentary side and creating those as audio um, documentaries uh, within our, our podcast space as well. So um, honestly, I, I think those two shows are some of the best work we've ever done in the audio space um, over the last three years. All in, it's just, it's such an exciting time to be a part of podcasting. Um, and for me, helping ESPN um, grow that uh, has been one of the best challenges, most rewarding and best challenges of my career. And I have some specific things I want to talk about and focus on. But first, how do you think this continues to grow? Because you were saying pre-COVID, the projections were a billion dollars in revenue industry-wide. Do you think those projections stay the same or grow? Because as we don't have many live events or we end up with live sports without fans, it feels to me that the podcast space could potentially get even bigger. But do you see that differently? I, I think th- I could argue both sides of that <laughs> and sure. in an interesting way. I mean, I think, I think that the, the unknowable there is, is revenue, right? Like who, who knows what's going to happen with the, with the economy. Um, and so much of that is out of our control. What I do know is that um, in this space, um, content wins and interesting people win and smart people um, who can tell great stories and who can be interesting and engaging and and have great interviews. Um, that's the kind of content that now that people have been exposed to it, it that's not an appetite that's going to go away. Interesting is always going to be interesting and, and, and fun is always going to be fun. Um, and thought provoking is always going to be thought provoking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the thing that we're thinking about now is what, what is COVID doing to everybody's habits and, and what is it doing in terms of you know, we, we keep talking about flattening the curve, um, but but the, the curve that has just been kind of shot to hell is is the technology adoption curve. Um, you know, people are people are learning new technologies faster than you know ever before, faster than we ever thought that they would be able to. Um, and thinking about you know um, how quickly people have adapted from going into the office every day to doing Zoom calls or ordering their groceries on, on Peapod or Instacart, or, I mean, my, my mom is 75 years old. Um, she'll kill me for telling this story, but last night she, she um, called up and she, she told me she didn't want to have to use my Zoom account anymore uh, because she didn't want to have to call and tell me when um, she wanted a meeting set up or when she wanted a call set up with her, with her girlfriends and, and, her, and her sister and my cousins. And so she, she set her, her own account up. And it was just this moment of like, oh my God, anything that we thought about 
the, the need to you know, inform folks and teach and handhold about all of the technology, you know, all of that stuff is out the window. What we have to focus on is we have the best content. We have stuff that's worth your time. Um, and how do we put that in as in front of as many people as possible? So it's, it's both terrifying and exciting at the same time, um, j- just because of what the opportunity is. We're going to have to do it better than we've ever done it before to make sure that we can do the right thing from a revenue standpoint. But the opportunity is incredible in terms of putting the personalities that we know we have um, and and how good they are and how smart they are um, and how entertaining they are, getting those in front of as many people as possible right now while all of their entertainment you know, entertainment and information habits are, are changing so quickly. So in the wake of COVID, uh, you guys have launched Hometown Hero and mm-hmm. Senior Night. Both are incredibly inspirational um, and they've provided great content needed, especially for the people that they're focusing on in a difficult time. Can you just talk a little bit about how those ideas were born give a little background and then how you guys were able to put them together and pivot so quickly. Oh gosh. Um, they, they have both been two of the things that I'm probably proudest of, um, in, in my career. Um, the senior night was, was, I mean, when, when you say spur of the moment, I, I don't know how much more spur, spur of the moment, anything <laughs> I've ever done in my career has been. Um, but we didn't, it, it was crazy. We did, I think it was a Wednesday night when um, we had an, there was an event in the city that a whole bunch of us were at, and that was the night that um, uh, Adam Silver announced the the postponement of the NBA. And dur- like literally, people were were in this environment, and everybody's phones were going off, and and there was just this sense of like, oh my god, every time you heard a ding, something else was uh-huh. was being canceled, and it was this. I mean, it was, it almost felt like this like physical cascade of, of things stopping and changing right in front of us. And I, I was driving home that night and, you know, obviously all the conversation was about, uh, you know, that evening, all the conversation was about um, the pro teams and wow, what does this mean for the NBA? What, what does this mean for the NLB? And as I was driving home, I, I kind of got lost in my own thoughts and I was like, Obviously, yes. Like my livelihood, <laughs> ESPN, you know, pro sports is what is what drives everything for us. But at the same time, I couldn't stop thinking about about the kids who were like me, right? Like I was a I was a mediocre Division three athlete. Um, <laughs> I played sports because I loved it. I loved the experience and the environment, and and I I played because I was a better person for having played. I was never going to do anything. Um, you know, professionally in sports, uh, you know, in, in terms of actually playing. Um, but I thought about all of those other kids who were who were like me, more talented, um, but but were like me, and their seasons were done. And you know, those Division three kids and those high school kids who weren't going to be able to play in college. And it, it just, I just, I got so sad for those kids. And um, Drove into to my la- what what turned out to be my last day in the office at ESPN the next morning and was just sitting down with colleagues um, when you could still sit near each other <laughs> and um, I, I I just I started sharing that story from the night before and what I was thinking about and 
we started talking about the idea of like all these kids and 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 what they were losing. And I, I did something that I normally wouldn't do. Um, and I, I just sat down at my desk and I just shot off an email and I, I pulled it up now. I, I can read some of it to you, but you know, in, in hindsight, it's so melodramatic. I'm embarrassed about it. Um, but it, it sort of captures what the thinking was. And the subject line was, I sent this to Norby Williamson, um, our head of content, Laura Gentili, our head of marketing, Ryan Spoon, who's our head of digital, um, and Scott Van Pelt. Um, and I, I, the subject line uh, was, what do sports fans do when there's no sports? What do sports anchors do when they have no sports to talk about? And then I start, uh, the, the, the body of the email says, do they start a movement? Hundreds of thousands of seniors won't get the chance to play their last games. High school kids, college kids, the kids who worked their asses off and stayed late after practice and did bake sales. The D3 kids who studied on the bus because their exams were more important than the score of the game they were driving to. These kids won't get a last home game, won't get to walk out onto the field to hand their mom a school-colored carnation. They won't get to walk off the field one last time, arms around each other, cheeks wet with tears from victory or defeat. Let's give them a senior night, a home game where they walk off the field with the loudest cheer ever in sports just for them. Someone at ESPN starts it, tells the kids and their families and their coaches that we want to see the pictures and know their names. Pictures of seniors, high school and college, and their uniforms posted to social. Highlight videos, team photos, parents and coaches telling the stories of these kids, who may, whose names we never would have learned any other way. The whole country coming together to cheer. Our talent could be all over this. And pro athletes, college coaches, college stars, celebrities. Everyone coming together while things are falling apart to take a minute to cheer. Now, I, I realize absolutely how melodramatic it was. Um, it made me cry. I mean, I don't think I don't think it was melodramatic. Granted, I am emotional, and anybody who follows fangirl sports, yeah, network, I probably shouldn't have read it in the middle of a pandemic. But, but it was, but it, it was, it was but you cry in a really nice way because it came from your heart. I don't think it was melodramatic. I think it came from your heart, and I think it was all a hundred percent true. Oh gosh, and and the the incredible, the truly incredible part of it was. So, so here I am, you know, typing out, this is my, my Jerry Maguire moment, right? Typing it uh -huh. out on the, on the laptop and, and sending it off to, to these folks. And at the exact same time, um, Scott Van Pelt was having conversations with his producer and, and Jimmy Pitaro had a conversation with Tina Thornton, um, his, his chief of staff. And like the amazing, I think the incredible thing is so many of us had, this same sense of these kids are going to lose something and we can't solve so many of these other problems, but you know what we can do? We can do the right thing by these kids. And so, you know, I sent off my email and Scott had his conversation and it, literally all of this stuff happened at the same exact time. And it just, it just exploded. And it was, you know, the Scott and, and Mike McQuaid from, from, uh, the, the sports center team were like, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to, Scott's going to send out a tweet. We're going to talk about it on air tonight. And we had this sense of, you know, it, this, this has a shot. Uh, we, we, we really could, you know, help, a, help a bunch of kids here, but then it just became something so much bigger and so much more wonderful. Um, and, and for me, so much more cathartic, there was so much I was afraid of right in those moments. And then all of a sudden it just felt good and it felt like okay you know we're this is a team that rallies um and and we were able to rally in that moment um scott gets 
all of the credit, what he did with it and how he handled it and how he spoke about it. Um, just, I mean, I get chills, you know, every single night I, I had to be sitting in front of the TV and I just wanted to hear him say the words and talk about these kids. Um, it, it was just, it was an incredible thing to be a, a very small part of. That is awesome. That is awesome. Well, we have much more to discuss, but before we do, we are going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, and then we will be back. They say a healthy gut means a healthy you. Favor apple cider vinegar shots bottle this feeling into the convenience of a two-ounce shot. Better digestion, stronger immune system, and the lowering of blood sugar levels are just some of the benefits to shooting a daily favor shot. Their proprietary blends are raw and organic and mixed with other functional ingredients to create a better tasting experience. First time shooters can go to drinkafavor.com. All right, Megan, that I feel a little teary eyed because that was really awesome. Um, and I think that it's incredible. And it's, it's so interesting and cool to hear how those things are born. And, you know, I've watched Scott Van Pelt and I watched him talk about it and it is incredible, but I love to hear how that happened. And I really think your email is one that's going to stay with me a long time. I just, it oh. was awesome. And I think you really got the point across and in, in the perfect way. Thanks. So, this that was this has been an awesome project for you. As you look back on your career, now we're going to look at some of the less fun. Well, I don't know if I call it less fun or more just the challenges that I think are important to look at as well. What is a project that you were super excited about and then didn't happen? Oh gosh, I there there's a lot of those. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I think it's it's sort of the nature of the beast, right? You everybody sees the end result. Um, but if you do it right, you know, they, you don't worry about the the hundred things that happened before you got to the end result. Um, and, and that's true of, of obviously any, um, any industry, but I think especially with ours and in kind of a creative and entertainment field. Um, and, and I have a, I have a ton of, of those examples, but I think the, in terms of the lesson that I learned, um, you know, yes, there are ad sales pitches and event concepts that didn't come to mind, but the the thing that taught me the biggest lesson wasn't actually a project that didn't work out. Um, it was a job that I didn't get. Um, and okay. it, it, so, if, if you'll indulge me, um, I'll, I'll share I'll share one of my uh, my interviewing failures. Um, but I I had gotten into uh, pretty far in the hiring process for a job at the NBA uh, about 15 years ago. And uh, it was very similar to a lot of what I had done at Nike. Uh, I worked at, uh, in the retail marketing division, managing the, the retail marketing for our Nike Town stores on the East Coast. And um, at the time, the, the MBA was really investing in their, their MBA store uh, right on Fifth Avenue. And they were looking to expand their retail and wanted to bring somebody in. Um, and I, I had, at that time, I had left Nike and I was working at a smaller event marketing agency. Um, doing mostly uh, sports events. Um, and I absolutely loved it. But I, I, I will admit that I kind of missed the cachet of being at a really big brand. It was, a, mm -hmm. it was definitely the right move for me personally and professionally to, to have gone to the agency. 
but there was that kind of little little scratch in the back of my head of like, wow, it's it's really good to be at the big dog. <laughs> um, so I, I went for it. I prepped like crazy and I, I networked my butt off and I, I did everything I could to really put myself in a in a good position. And you know, it turned out that I was one of the final two candidates. And my final interview was actually with Mark Tatum, who, you know, that, that was part of his his role at the time. Um, and I, I walked in there thinking I was just ready for absolutely anything he was going to throw at me. Um, and one of the first things that he said, um, was he, he asked me, what did I love about basketball? And it was honest to God, it was the one thing that I hadn't thought about. Um, it was, it was, I was dumbstruck and it was so embarrassing. Um, but, but in hindsight, I realized you know, the, the reason that I hadn't thought about it was because I didn't love it. Um, I really, really wanted the job. I knew I could do a good job at it. I, I knew I would do well. Um, but wanting it on my resume was very different than having a passion for it. And, um, you know, to his credit, obviously, he saw, he saw that right away. He's an incredibly smart guy. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the interview itself, um, you know, my candidacy probably lasted about five minutes <laughs> in the interview, but the conversation went on for, for a good hour, hour and a half. Um, and, and he, what I learned from him and, and hearing him talk about it and hearing him talk about what he, um, what he thought was great on my resume and, and, and the experience that I had and being able to share that with him in that moment, um, hands down was one of the best experiences of my career because I realized, um, you know, sometimes learning what you don't want to do is just as important as knowing what you do want to do. And being able to to apply the skills that I had that he recognized or I wouldn't have been sitting in front of him um, mm-hmm. with something that lit a fire inside of me, um, which I didn't have, you know, specifically for the game of basketball at that time in my life. Um was was an incredible lesson, um, and so I, I I roll that story out with basically every informational interview any kid in college or any cousin or any friend of a family member um, who ever wants to work in sports um, you know asks me to have um, because it's it's it has to be about what you love um, because you're going to be doing it. You're going to be working hard. You're going to be working your butt off. You're going to be challenging yourself to be as creative as you have ever been, because those are all the things that are, are givens when you work in sports, right? Like that's, that's the price of entry. Um, being passionate about it isn't something that you can, you can fake. And it isn't something that you can, you can learn once you get the job. Um, you have to come to the table with it. Would you say kind of the other side of that coin, so to speak, is if you're super passionate about it and you just want to do it because it sounds fun, <laughs> that's also not the, because it is a very tough business and it's a lot yes. of hard work. And I mean, I was saying to someone the other day, like game, I cover the 49ers. So game day for me is, you know, that's a 14, 16 hour day and that's yeah. okay. Yeah. And when the game ends is when a lot of my work really begins. I mean, obviously yep. I've got pregame field content, uh, press box, tweeting the game, you know, keeping up with the game the whole time, but then the game ends and another good four or five hours of work are ahead of me. So would you say that's the other side of that coin? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and my, um, my other piece of advice for, for 
thankfully not everybody who wants to do an informational interview, but there are certainly the folks who, who I've had the chance to talk to. Um, and, and when you, you ask them, you know, what, why sports, what do you want to do? Why do you want to get in this? And, um, when they say, oh, well, I love sports. I, I, I really like watching football. I really like doing all these other things. And, and I'm not, I'm not talking about women, like men and women, you know, when, oh, when yeah. you start your interview with that, with that sentence, um, I'm, I'm usually zoned out like, like after the first couple of minutes, because, um, liking it, liking it is great. And, and yes, you have to be passionate about it. Um, but it is one of the hardest jobs you'll ever have in your entire life. And, and, the what you have to bring to the table, um, the the hours, the workload, the the volatility of it, the the constant changing, the the needing to be on top of this season, then the next season, then the next season, um, it it can be overwhelming. Um, so you have to be able to think about it as a business. You have to be able to to be um, very able to to look at it independently from your passion for it. Um, the, the passion I think can sustain you through the tough part, but you, first and foremost, you have to be a professional and you have to know what you're doing and you have to have the skill sets to be there. Um, so I, I, I think, I think you pointed out a, a great balance between the two. Yeah. You have to be passionate about it, um, to, to do a great job at it, but being passionate at, about it doesn't make you great at what you do. It's funny. Cause when you say someone says, well, I love to watch football, I mean, you'll, <laughs> you'll watch football, but you will not watch it the way you ever did before. Ever just, again. <laughs> you know, I have friends still don't completely understand it, which is fine because how would they? They've never like sat in a press exactly. box. They'll text me like at the end of the New Orleans game, you know, and say, are you going crazy? And like, well, no, I can't. <laughs> no, because I'm on deadline. <laughs> yeah, and I also would be real inappropriate if I jumped up and down right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not exactly. Not going to go well. So it is, um, it is funny, but I think that that's, it's, in, that's an interesting tidbit. And I think important for our listeners to hear that if that's the answer that you zone out and I completely understand why you do. Yeah. That makes sense to me. So you said earlier, earlier, I had trouble getting that word out. You said earlier that you were a better person for having played sports. Can you talk a little bit about that and also talk about some of those lessons you learned along the way that have been helpful in your career? Oh, gosh. Um, I, 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 I don't even know where to start with that. Um, I was... My sisters and I were really lucky. Uh, my dad was a, was a uh, college athletic director, a, a very small Division three school, um, Mercy College in Dobbs Ferry, New York. And um, so we, from from day one, minute one, it, my sisters and I grew up around sports. Um, and it, it was a very small operation. So like I, I can remember um, my mom and and. My, like she would bring the the uniform, my dad would bring the uniforms home and my mom would wash them and, and we would sit and help cut oranges for my dad's to, to bring to the game. Um, he, he would, uh, he had a tiny little white Toyota Corolla and he would put the, the chains on the back of it and, and, and do the fields to prep the, the softball and oh, baseball wow. fields himself. I mean, it was, it was a one-stop shop for a really long time, um, but he grew the program. And um, sharing sports with him and, and growing up and playing um, was just always, it was kind of central to who we were. 
I'm not saying that any of us were any good because we, we weren't all that good. Um, but, but absolutely loved it. And, um, I, I was able to play through high school and college, uh, again, division three. Did you play, Megan? Um, I played softball in college, um, I had hoped to play volleyball, um, as well, but got hurt my senior year, um, play, uh, playing softball my senior season. Um, okay. so I, I had a, a hand injury, um, and decided, uh, needed a little bit more rehab before I could, could play, um, volleyball. Um, uh, and then it turned out that that college was a lot more fun when you only played one sport. <laughs> um, so, uh, I, I wound up just playing softball for the, for four years at Tufts, um, but the, what, one of the, a couple of years ago, I got asked to, um, I got asked to, to speak at a, a breakfast at my old high school. And, um, I, I, I told the story about my dad and to me, this is, it's, it's, it, it kind of encapsulates so much of what sports has given me, um, when I, when my dad, he was a coach and he always coached my sisters and I, and we, um, we did all the things that coaches kids do. Right. So like we had to be at practice first and we, and we were the last ones to leave. And, um, we always had to carry the equipment and I'll remember as a kid being so mad at my dad because, you know, when, when, and we're talking like little league baseball, right. Um, cause at the time they didn't even have girls softball in, in my town, but, mm-hmm. um, my dad, you know, it's okay. So where does everybody want to play? And, you know, it, he would, he, everybody else would be like, Oh, I want to pitch. I want to play shortstop. I want to be a catcher. And whatever the open spot was, that's where we would go. Um, and, and so you, you sort of kind of played, played a variety of different positions. And I always remember being so mad that like, I was the coach's kid. Come on. Like what? in all the movies, the coach's kid always gets to be the pitcher or they get to back cleanup. <laughs> um, and I, I will never forget my freshman year of high school. I went to tryouts for for softball and the coach at the time um we were all just standing around the infield and she's like okay so who's who's played first base and I raised my my hand who's played second base I raised my hand who's played third base I raised my hand and she just keeps going through all the positions and it's a hand to god I went home that night and and said to my dad I finally get it I finally (laughs) understand what you were doing you know, there wasn't a spot on that field that I couldn't stand. You taught me how to play everywhere. And I uh, clearly, I had no clue what he was doing. Um, and, mm-hmm. and my mom says that he doesn't know that he was really playing the long game like that. But um, it was just such an amazing experience for me um, to, to know um, in, in terms of preparation and, and putting in the work and being a part of a team um, all of those things are things that I got from sports, learning how to lose, learning how to win. Um, they're all, they all feel like cliches now. Um, but the thing is like, you, you know it when you see it. Um, and I'm not talking about division one athletes or scholarship athletes or, or pros, but in a workplace, um, you know, when somebody has been a part of a team in a, in a, in a community, in a neighborhood, um, you just know, you know what they're, because of how they reach out to other people, um, because of how they deal with challenges, because of how they deal with setbacks, um, because of how, how gracious they can be when things are going well for them and they're not going well for somebody else. Um, you know, again, I was, a, <laughs> I was a pretty mediocre athlete, but those are the lifelong lessons that I took from sports um, 
and and you know for my daughter those are the if i'm lucky enough or if she's lucky enough that she wants to that sports is something that she wants to pursue when she's old enough like i hope that those are lessons that she learns as well when you brought up two very interesting points the learning to lose and the learning to win because there is a graciousness in winning Mm -hmm. and a graciousness in losing and those are skills that will take you way beyond the playing field absolutely take you in life. And I think that that's very important, especially in the world we live in today, where social media is so prevalent. And some of what we have to do on social media is brag a little about ourselves Mm -hmm. and promote ourselves. And there's, you know, but there's a fine line. And I think it's very important to know the difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, And once you've, once you've crossed that line, it's, in terms of, of being able to get back people's respect. And um, it, it, it's a really tough thing to walk back. Um, mm-hmm. So I think when, when, you, when you have those lessons ingrained early, um, when, you, when you can figure out how to have fun when you're losing, um, but, but have that loss kindle a fire to compete harder the next time, um, you know, to me, that's, you, you can't win better. You, you can't learn better lessons. I look at um, the 49ers and obviously I bring that up because it's the team I'm closest to, but <laughs> there were those years where they, that, you know, the year with Kyle Shannon where they were 0 and 9. And, yeah. but that locker room wasn't in terms of graciousness and attitude wasn't different than it was this season. And exactly. I think comes from the coach and I think that comes to the players and that's, it's important. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you never forget that you, you, you never forget as a person going through it. Um, I've been on my, my sophomore year. Uh, we were, we should have been um, incredible. I mean, everything on paper, we should have, we should have won. And again, if we're talking the, the NESCAP, we're not talking, you know, <laughs> the SEC or anything like that, but um, we, we should have been incredible. Like we, we had everything, every weapon we needed on paper. Um, and just nothing ever came together. The chemistry wasn't right. You know, a couple, couple bad injuries, couple bad breaks. Um, and we, we, we did nothing that year. Um, and then the, the next year, um, a couple graduations, a couple of things that, that, um, you know, kind of fell together in an interesting way. Um, we should have been awful on paper. Um, but it was a group of folks who really enjoyed being around each other. Everybody was willing to work hard because of the injuries. Everybody had a role. Um, and, and there were, there were no backups. Uh, we, we had a pitcher who threw practically every inning of every game. Um, and you just knew that, that if you didn't come through, there was nobody else behind you. Um, and it was, it, it, it set a tone for each and every one of us that, you know, to this day, I, I think about that in work situations. I think about that in personal and family situations of, you know, you've got to be the one to come through this time. And it's pretty amazing when everybody working on a team feels like, okay, I'm going to be the one who comes through this time. Uh, it just, it lets you do incredible things. Well, and going back to hometown hero and senior night <laughs> and pivoting so quickly and everybody coming together you know, this was the middle of a pandemic. This was, I, I'm so, this word, I've heard it so many times, but it is unprecedented. I may never I use it 
again after COVID, but it is unprecedented. So there was no playbook. There was nothing for how do you make this happen so quickly, but you guys did. And so it's a similar idea on paper. Some exactly. things are meant to work and don't, and some aren't and they do. Exactly. Uh, and with hometown heroes, it was, you know, senior night was, was so spur of the moment. Um, hometown heroes was really just, we knew we had to pivot. We knew some, we couldn't do what we wanted to do. And, and what we had wanted to do was pretty great. Uh, we, we had a, a whole promotion ready to go. It was, um, we, we basically created, um, there, there are days that I don't believe that I can't, I, I can't believe I'm lucky enough to get to do what I do because we basically created a fake golf tournament a couple of years ago. Um, our hosts on air were talking about, um, you know, how it was springtime and they couldn't wait to go out and play some golf. And, um, we, you know, one of the, one of the other hosts was like, well, why don't we do what the corporate guys do? Why don't we, you know, let's have a, let's have an offsite and then we get to go play golf for free. <laughs> And it became, it was a, just a, a, a passing joke on air. The audience really re, you know, reacted to it on social. And we sort of looked at ourselves and we're like, well, why, why not? Like, let's, let's, let's make up <laughs> an, <laughs> a, a, an offsite so that our guys can go play golf and we'll, we'll turn it into a, a fan promotion. And so we did. And then the next year, um, you know, the only way that you can make a fake, you know, a fake retreat better is to turn it into a fake tournament. Um, <laughs> and we did, and we got real sponsors for our fake tournament. So the, the Wingo cup was, was basically that fake tournament. And this spring, spring 2020, um, we were going to take it international for the first time, believe it or not. So we were going to play one, the front nine at Pinehurst and then the back nine, we were working on taking the show to Dublin um, and, and a bunch of golf courses in Ireland. And let me tell you how excited Trey Wingo was about that. And oh, um, sure. oh, he was, he was losing his mind and, you know, obviously everything changed overnight. And we, we knew that a, a promotion based on travel, a promotion based on a luxurious golf trip was absolutely not the right thing to do at a time when, when people were worried about losing jobs and, and, and where their next meals were going to come from. And when everything happened, the guys, um, I mean, Trey and, and, and Mike Golick and Mike Golick Jr. are just incredible people. And they had already been asking folks on air, uh, share your, share stories. Uh, we're seeing this stuff in our community. You guys, you know, tell us what you're seeing. And it, it, so quickly, it became clear to us that that was the right pivot, that we, you know, they were already talking to their audience about these hometown heroes. Could we basically take what we were going to dedicate and what we were going to use to fund that whole big promotion, which would have been awesome. Um, but instead of can instead of postponing it to when people could travel again, what if we just canceled the whole damn thing? And, and we went to the sponsor and we told them what we were going to do. And instead of doing that, um, we, we decided that we were going to recognize some, we were going to do something good for some of these folks who were doing so much good. And that, that was honestly how the, the hometown heroes piece came together. Um, we, we started walking, going through all of the tweets and all of the things that had been, been shared on social. We put together a really quick website. Um, and encouraged people to to continue to tell their stories, and the guys 
to their credit, they were amazing. They, they, every night they would send us, you know, copies of tweets like, Hey, did you see this one? Look at what this person is doing. Um, and we were able to pick 20 of those folks and give them a cash award to be able to continue the good that they were doing. Um, so everything from, you know, this one amazing young man from Tampa who, um, he had been injured in a, in a football accident in his teens and was a paraplegic. And he, he was studying, um, he, he put himself through law school and he, he was a, a lawyer in Tampa and, um, on the weekends in his own volunteer work was doing a lot, um, with, with homeless folks in, in the community. And in, in the pandemic, he recognized that, you know, the need was going to be that much greater. So out of his own pocket and, and despite all of the challenges that he had himself, he was going out and, and doing hygiene kits for these folks and, and giving folks meals. And so our, you know, the, 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 that that's just one example of some of these incredible stories uh, and the guys you know were incredible and and talked with him and you know had tears in their eyes when they were when they were able to say to him hey you know what we it, it's a small thing but we want to be able to give you um, something to help you keep doing that um, and it was just the 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 way that folks shared the stories of the people that they were seeing either in their community or in their own family. Um, you know, one, one family was going through a terrible time. The, the, a family member was, was unfortunately losing his battle to pancreatic cancer. And um, to talk about how sports connects you, um, his family wanted to be able to visit him in hospice, but they couldn't without masks. So his sister made, made masks with the Ohio State uh, Buckeyes logo on it. And the, the staff at the hospice were, you know, they were so incredible. They let them in. They let them be with their brother before he passed away. And this woman, um, basically, she, she, she just kept making the masks. And she wanted to make sure that, that anybody at that facility had them and that the staff had them. And she was making hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these Ohio State masks. And it was just these, all of these incredible stories from these amazing people um, who were just doing good things that honestly, it was whatever it took for us to pivot from one campaign to be able to help them do that kind of thing. Um, you know, it, it was, it, it was an incredibly easy um, decision for us to be able to make and, and all of the work was worth it. Um, Devin McGowan, who was a, a young woman on my team, um, to say that she was a force of nature in helping, in, in driving that and making that happen um, is, is honestly an understatement. You know, human beings really are incredible. Incredible. You made me cry again. <laughs> but that's a, that's a good thing. And it's just, you know, it's like a good place before we go to five fun facts. It's kind of a good place to, I guess, to end our discussion before the end of our discussion, which is five fun facts, but that for all of the negative things we see in the world, there are so many good people and they're Absolutely. doing incredible things, including Devin McGowan, who Absolutely. is integral in making this happen. Um, so those were really incredible stories. Thank you for sharing oh, that with me and, and with our listeners, because I think it gives us not to be super cheesy, but I do, do think it gives us some hope. 
And when you see such positivity come out of a crisis, there's something to be said for that. Absolutely. So with that, now that I've stopped crying, um, we, <laughs> we will move into five fun facts, which, you know, they're just, they're just fun facts. And we ask everybody the same questions at the end of every episode. And it's been so cool because we get so many different answers and <laughs> it's been great. So it's one of my favorite parts. Um, I love five fun facts generally. So whenever you are ready, we will jump right in. I am ready. All right. What is your favorite moment in sports? Okay. So as, as the lone Red Sox Patriots fan in my entire New York born and born and bred family, <laughs> Um, I know that I should say the Red Sox, you know, beating the Yankees or winning the World Series or any number of the Patriots Super Bowls. Um, and, and everyone in my family is groaning right now as I say that. Um, <laughs> but my, my absolute favorite sports moment, um, my dad, uh, through, through his work at the college, um, uh, received tickets to a Yankees game. Um, and that game turned out to be the Pine Tar game. And oh, I wow. was, for whatever reason, a kid growing up in Connecticut, I was the biggest, biggest uh, Kansas City Royals fan. And uh, I was obsessed uh, with George Brett. Um, and so the, we were, the, the, the seats were incredible. Um, we were, if, if you do, when, when they have that wide shot of Brett racing out of the, the dugout, uh-huh. uh, spit flying, um, screaming. Uh, if, if, if you see the wide shot, you can actually see me and my dad and my sisters, like you know, oh. little kids a million years ago. Um, but it was, my dad called every, every second of it. Um, he was like, Oh, look, they're going to bring in Gossage. Oh, look, you know, Brett's going to hit one. They're, 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 they've got the bat. They're looking at the bat. And then I, I will never forget, like the, the stadium was actually so quiet because nobody knew what was going on. There were no cell phones. There was nothing. Literally nobody knew what was going on. Um, and, and then afterwards, I was so mad that they, they, after everything happened, they wound up like replaying the end of that inning. And at the time we were on vacation, my family was on vacation. And I was so mad at my dad that we, I, he wouldn't drive us all the way from vacation back to Yankee Stadium to see like the last two outs, even though Brett wasn't even playing anymore. Oh, that's amazing. So hands down, my, my favorite sports moment. That's fantastic. What is your life motto? Uh, I would, I would love to be able to um, steal this from Michael Jordan uh, in the last dance last week. Um, But somebody said about him, he never worried about a shot he hadn't taken yet. And I just Mm. thought that was so perfect. Um, Sums up kind of every, every nervousness and anxiety, you know, pre-event or pre-promotion launch that I've ever had. Um, you know, just know that you're good and and know that you'll be okay. Um, but also one personally from my mom, um, there's a tiny little yellow sticky on my board at work, um, that is probably about 15 years old. And it it just says, be brave, have faith, love mom. Um, and it was, it, it is, it is everything to me. That's fantastic. That's special. What is your go to workout? Uh, well, I am I am a relatively new mom, um, so right now my only workout is running around after my two year old. Um, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and she's much faster than I am. Um, <laughs> but I, I for a long time uh, really, really, really loved hot yoga. Um, so I am 
I am hopeful that when things start to open up again um, and when it's safe to do so, um, that that's something that I can I can start back in my life. Um, we do baby yoga uh, here in oh. here in the house, <laughs> um, oh. and and she's uh, she's she's definitely keeping on my toes. I love that baby yoga. That's so cute. <laughs> what is your go-to coffee order or tea? I have found not everybody drinks coffee. Oh, I, I am I am an absolute Starbucks stan, uh, but I do oh, I do drink tea instead of coffee. So I I am obsessed with the Starbucks Earl Grey venti um, with uh, with cream and the raw sugar. Um, mm. it, it is horrifyingly sweet, um, but it's it's the most delicious thing, and I probably have about three a day. Sounds delicious, actually. Absolutely, <laughs> I might have to be. I may be having that. That sounds amazing. And it's so simple, and so and it's such a, a ridiculous waste to do it at, at Starbucks because I can make Earl Grey tea in my house. But there's just something about it. There's also something about the ritual. I find like the ritual yes. of. You go into Starbucks and getting your old grade, I totally, totally get that. Uh, and then last but not least, what is a book every woman should read? Um, I, I have a, it, it's sort of a book, um, but it, 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 there's actually uh, an author uh, and a marketer. His name is Hugh McLeod um, and his, his stuff is, it's Gaping Void. And he started out as a cartoonist, uh, sorry, he started out as a, as an ad guy and was drawing cartoons on the back of business cards and, um, had his Jerry Maguire moment and, and created this manifesto called how to be creative. And if you can Google it and find it on the internet, um, it's about 35, 40 pages, I think. Um, and it is just, it was such a light bulb moment for me. It's an encapsulation of. Um, everything you need to know as a communicator, everything you need to know as a marketer um, in the simplest form um, from his own career with his own drawings. Um, if you, if you go read it once, you'll be obsessed with his stuff forever. Um, and I, I, I couldn't recommend it highly enough. Um, of course you should read Bob Iger's book. Um, of course you should read Phil Knight's book. Um, and I love uh, uh, option B by Sheryl Sandberg. Um, but the, the, there's something about that how to be creative um, manifesto, if you will, um, that I just, I truly love. And, and I still, 15 plus years later, uh, after first reading it, I still go back to it at least once or twice a year. Oh, fantastic. I'm going to check that out for sure. It's great. You'll love it. You'll absolutely love it. Oh, fantastic. Thank you. And Megan, thank you so much. This was such a great conversation and podcast. And I just feel very lucky to have been able to spend this time with you talking. Oh my about gosh. Thank you so much. I, I thank you for, very much for giving me the opportunity. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you guys liked what you heard, which I'm sure you did, don't forget to please leave us a review on iTunes and follow us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network so you can keep up with everything we're doing. And just a little reminder, every week on Thursdays at 5.30 Pacific time, 8.30 Eastern, we are doing Fangirl Flick of the Week, where we'll talk about a different sports movie every week. So that's relatively new for us, so be sure to check it out. And with that, I will talk to everybody next time. Bye, all.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.